Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you all for tuning in to Step Into Your Sunshine. This is Rachel Kudron, your host, the owner of Kudron's Curiosities, the Etsy Boutique, and RC Copywriting. Today, I have a phenomenal guest with me, and I would love for her to introduce herself. Hi, Rachel. It's so nice to be here with you, and I love the title of your podcast. Uh, my name is Jackie McLaughlin, and I am a sole business owner of Energy Flows, which is a complementary therapy practice where I use gentle energy touch to help people let go of their tensions, their worries, their chronic health issues, and to just be well in their lives. And one of the things that I was playing with one time was to say, step back into your life with joy and ease. And so many of my clients do find that. So that's what I do in my day job. <laughs> so Thank uh, you so much for introducing yourself. Is there more you'd like to share with us? Well, I was just thinking that I, I live in Ireland, about 30 minutes west of Dublin, and I get to see the green rolling hills of Ireland all the time. And I, I love it here, but it's not my original home because I lived in America for a good number of years, and it's been an amazing journey. And that's something I can really relate to, where we, the two of us are expats, uh, where you, we both moved from America, and now you live in Ireland, and I live in France, and that changes a person, it changes our perspectives, it changes the way we see the world, and it also brings us front and center of the culture that we were brought up in because at times when you're in another country and their culture differs from yours or the way that you were brought up it's you don't quite realize it until you're in that moment or in that culture and you're like why does this feel weird or why does this feel uncomfortable and then you start to realize this is a cultural difference mm -hmm. and i think that the longer you live in a place they say it takes about six years to feel grounded in a place. But the longer you live in a place, the more you settle. At the same time, I always expect some new, as I call them, Irishisms, because there's just different ways of saying things and viewing things. And on average, there's one a month. And I'm like, oh, okay, there it is. <laughs> but as much as you said that culture is different, the thing that I've noticed most is that people are the same. We have certain habits and certain ways of being, and of course, speaking. But at the end of the day, we all have the same core values. And I mean, if we look at philosophy, those eternal truths like justice and beauty and love, we're all looking for those, whether we're speaking French, Gaelic, English or any other language. So. That's very true. The more we think we're different, the more we realize we're the same. Yes, whatever we focus on grows because if we focus on the differences, then we'll be more aware of those. And I was just back in America last week and I thought things were gonna be so different. And yes, the things on the shelf, in the shops are different. The things in the restaurants are different, but the people are the same. 
just a little bit louder than here in Ireland. <laughs> that is definitely true. Definitely yeah. true. <laughs> and I had a friend when I first moved here, I happened to meet another American that went their children went to the same school of my brother and sister-in-law as uh, mm. children. And she had moved several years ago. So she has about probably six more years of experience than I do now. Mm. And we kind of talked through the transition because I've met her about a year in to moving here. And at that time, I was extremely overwhelmed by lots of things by having a daughter that had been born within the last year mm. by the system that I didn't understand by the lack of ability to communicate by uh, the different cultural norms and way of being in life and uh, just how you approach different things and I remember her very distinctly saying for about the first year Generally, it feels like, oh, wow, when you move somewhere, everything is new and different and exciting and wonderful. And then year two is, year two and year three is that reflection time of, well, maybe I like this better from where I was from, or this just, just doesn't settle right for me, or there's all these questions, like, do I, can I really adjust to being here? Can I really live in this place and prosper and just like you said six years for somebody to adjust for her it was around four to five years where year four and five it was sort of that acceptance where you realize there's good things about the U.S. and the way they do things and there's good things about France or Ireland and how they do things and how their approaches are and the way that they interact with people or their values, their communities, what they emphasize. And for me now, I'm four and a half years into my journey. And I would say that both of you guys are correct is the first two years I lived here was incredibly challenging. And I went through a lot of lows before I experienced any highs. The main high in my life for the first two years was my daughter being born and me becoming a mother. And I, and I questioned regularly if I could live in France, if I could prosper in France, would I ever feel like me in France or that I would belong? Mm. And now that we're to four and a half years and I wasn't in the U.S., a week ago, but I was in the US about a month ago. And I remember the sort of introspective moment where I was reflecting on what was around me and the experiences that I had had and through the past couple of weeks being in the US. And I realized that now France is my home. This is where I feel most me. And even though it's still an adjustment period, even though I still have much space to grow in language capacity in regards to French. I know that this is the place I belong now. Yeah. And when you, I, I find that there's not one defining moment, but it's kind of a connection of moments. And unless I pay attention, things shift and I don't realize it because it can be a case where 
like you in the initial days, I felt very out of sorts. And my husband was like, shh, you're too loud. (laughs) And just, it's a different way of being and connecting with people. And I started to notice that I adopted many of the interaction patterns that people have. Like here, we don't tend to rush in and just kind of be very forthright and all that. We're more gentle and we will talk to the person and reach an agreement gently without the pressure. Whereas before I would have walked into a shop and say, I need this now. (laughs) And I found that I don't do that anymore. I go in and I say hello to the shopkeeper and have a look around. And it's much more of a gentle toing and froing than what I was used to. And I realized that it's the journey is more important than the goals. Because if I'm looking just at my goals, I miss out on so much. I love the quote that you just said, journey, the journey is more important than the goal. And I think that that has, that can be attached to many parts of our lives, not just our experiences, but in our businesses, um, in our aspirations, how we connect with our children, what we, the ideals and values that we teach our kids and Mm. how we interact with the community at large. Mm. Has that, has that way of life impacted you? It's been an interesting journey. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> My children are now 27 and 28. Do you want to pause and go, Rachel? It's okay if you want to pause. Yeah, Rachel, when we look at the journey versus the goals, it, it's been very different for me over different times in my life because I was raised in the Northeast of America, which is very goal oriented and people will put achieving their goals in front of the day-to-day experiences, at least in my experience. And what I found over time is it's much more important, the connections that we're making and the choices that we make on a smaller level than to have these big goals. Now, the big goals are important sometimes, but I don't think that they should eclipse what you're doing and the connections you're making. I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life, um, working in different roles, getting advanced degrees, moving country, raising children. And when it all comes down to it, even if you tick a box, I found it very interesting that when I was awarded my doctorate, there was a huge denouement. And a lot of times, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and it's very common because you're working so hard towards the goal that you lose sight of who you are really and what's important and where you're going. So my doctorate thesis, sits on the shelf and I don't use it directly. So it's been a real experience. And I remember when I started my business, I 
got my business cards. I registered the business. This is a huge goal. It's to be celebrated. And what's really to be celebrated is those moments that I'm connecting with clients. Those moments when I'm present and in flow. Those moments when a client gets up off the therapy table like the 90-year-old woman who came into me and couldn't walk. And she laid down on the table and I gently moved my hands through the best positions for her. And she got up and she, was, oh, and she started doing a little jig. So it's those moments. And I don't see that as a big picture goal. It's those little landmarks, those little stepping stones along the way. And then the other thing that I found is what I thought were important goals. I've had a few roundy birthdays and they change over time. And I see that there's a lot more phases in our lives than I would ever, ever imagined. So it's very different. I appreciate you sharing those with us. When you were talking about those little moments, those in-between times and not the hard focus on the goal, it actually evoked a memory in me. And it was when I was, it was the first time I went back to the U.S. after I had moved to France and I was walking around, I believe it was Target and I saw journals and it was like, wake up and slay. And, you know, the 530 club and that whole mentality that it's more about the goals. It's more about working hard. Many times I have experienced that if you're not working to a point of almost being sick in the U.S., then you're not working enough. Mm-hmm. It comes from the mentality that um the American dream that if you work hard enough, you can achieve anything that you want. So people feel that if you're not achieving what you want or what they want for you, then you must not be working hard enough. Mm. And those are from my experiences. And I was also at the time reflecting about my experience here in France. When I moved, one of the more prominent things was the time that you took to to eat, that it was a communicative effort. It was designed to be slow and methodical and reflective and conversational. And all of my time in the U.S., I waited tables. I've um, gone out to eat several times with my family. And it's kind of like, move, move, move. You know, we need to get the next person in so we can get the tips. And it's just constantly like, Go, 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 go. And what I go out to eat now in France is you go out to eat at seven. And even if it's just me, my daughter, and my husband, there's not a single chance that will be done before 8.15 or 8.30. Mm-hmm. And it's just slower. It's more methodical. People want to have the little drink or a little snack beforehand. You talk and chat about it. And then slowly they bring you the dessert menu and then it's like do you want coffee and tea and all of the things and that was very eye-opening to me and forced me to stop in my tracks because I was like okay come on hop let's go and um 
And they're like, no, 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 this isn't going to work here. And even at fam family events with my husband's family, everything is just as it comes and as it flows. Like we go over for lunch. I'm thinking, okay, at the beginning, I won't feed Eleanor because we're going to be eating there. We arrive at 11.45. Well, first is to say hi to all the family. And then it's to have the drink and the little peanuts and chips and snacks and um, all of that. And then once we're ready, then we go eat. It might've been an hour and a half or two hours after we've actually arrived in the whole eating process very slow methodical you know chatting away and and it might be four o'clock 4 30 by the time that you have completed a lunch meal with a large party and that was something that really was starkly different in my life where and it came to me when I was in Target reading those journals just like you said that it was more about those small moments in between like for me it wasn't important what was going on at dinner it was like okay let's go we got something else to do mm. and reflecting on that that's sad that we're not spending more time engaging in the moment and being present with the people that we're surrounded by and that came up when you had mentioned those thoughts mm -hmm. and it's very much a matter of being present and mm -hmm. being aware because I think well, in my experience, when we're not present and we're not aware, then that's where we can get in huge amounts of trouble because I was pursuing goals and pushing and I was tired and I was getting sore and I was getting burned out. But because I wasn't staying in the moment, I didn't realize it. So, so many of us can end up where we never intended to be because we're not present and we're not taking the time. And if we have that time with our loved ones, we can make those connections and we can show up authentically. But if we're trying to tick the boxes for some goal, and it may not even be our goal, because I found that, okay, I do this goal and then this goal, and it's, it's what you do. Whereas when I actually looked at what I wanted in my life and what I thought I wanted, two very different things, very different. <laughs> well, it leads me to one question for you. Okay. What was the most difficult challenge you faced and how did you overcome it? And how has your perspective on life changed over the years? The most difficult challenge, hmm. There's been a few. <laughs> the first one that comes to mind, though, was I was sitting in a hospital bed waiting for my rheumatologist to come around and enlighten me why I was so unwell. And he came around after all the tests and he went, hmm, don't know. And I just remember lying in the bed, gripping the blanket and just fighting back the tears because it just meant more of the same. And I wasn't able to do the things I wanted to do in my life. So it was a total transformation of my 
goals and my values and how I would go forward in life. And I mean, I had, my children were um, in their early teens then. So they really needed a fully functioning mom. And my husband was just devastated because he couldn't fix this. And that was one of the biggest challenges in my life because everything that I had done and the way I understood the world, the harder you pushed, the more you got done, the further you got, and the more rewards. But it doesn't always work that way. For some people, it does. And I, I'm very impressed. I have a brother who's a very high achiever. He lives in Silicon Valley in California and has the multi-million dollar home and the probably has a Tesla. Yeah, he has a Tesla now. <laughs> and that works for him, but it doesn't work for everybody. So to be at that low point, it's just, very humbling and brings forth the time and the space to reevaluate and to build yourself up. So it, yeah, that, what was the second part of your question? <laughs> I'll repeat it in just a second. I have another thought about what you just said is it evokes a current memory in me that mm. I have been dealing with for the past few months uh, with my mom being sick is that when somebody when the doctor tells you I don't know it's I have heard that countless times over the last four months and my mom has had series after series of very rare unheard of cases and they keep telling us, oh, that's really where it won't happen. And then something happens and then they don't know. And it is so hard to keep hearing, I don't know. I don't know. And the most recent one was this last week, between the last two weeks, is that my mom uh, went to an unresponsive state. And for 11 days, she was unresponsive. And the doctor just kept saying, I don't know, we need to give it time. I don't know, we need to give it time. And I could feel the emotions that you were evoking. It was like, it's just devastating. And it's sort of a moment where my mom was not able to hear, I don't know, let's give it time. But for the family, it was a moment. What do we decide? Do we decide to say, okay, and sit back and let things happen and give it time? Or do we make that decision to go out and make a change and choose to do more so that we can potentially impact the situation? And after five months of all of this and many hospitalizations and many different diseases, many different surgeries, um, you know, you come to an end that like as a family member, you just want it to be over and not her passing away, but you want it to be over where she can come home and be healed. And that I don't know feels like a shot in the heart every single time. And fortunately, um, my sister who refuses to take I don't know for an answer and 
demands that there is an answer for everything, that uh, she researched endlessly on what had happened the day that she went under, the day she became non-responsive. She discovered that she had been given a different antibiotic. Then she researched the antibiotic and she found out the side effects of the antibiotic, which was um, induced neurotoxicity from the antibiotic. And then she shared it with the family. We made a collective decision and the people that were involved when she told them to stop the antibiotic. And now it's been about 36 to 40 hours and my mom is responsive today. Wonderful. And it is, it's incredible. But it also came from when you said you were at sort of your lowest or you had to decide what you were going to do when they kept saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yet you were in this place. I am presuming that you made the choice to take that into your own hands and decide what you were going to do about it. And, and so just, often, like, so just like my sister did. And she deter- was determined to find an answer. And I would love to know more about your story, about how you took hold of the reins of your life and switched things around. Mm, well, I became much more open-minded then. <laughs> because after going through a battery of tests with a lot of doctors who would say, oh, this won't happen anymore. Like the um, ENT who said, you won't get recurrent vertigo. It won't come back again and again. And it did for three years. And I just started looking at other ways of approaching health. And I tried lots of complementary therapists. And I went to Reiki, counseling, um, craniosacral, massage, um, the list goes on and on. And then I went to one lady who, she did this really strange sounding thing that I couldn't pronounce. And I said, I want to learn about Jin Shin Jitsu. And I wanted her to tell me all about it on the phone. And she's like, come for a session. And like, come for a session. And I did. And I think that we all have ways of reactivating our innate healing capacity. And it's different for everybody. Now, for me, and for a lot of my clients, this is a really good fit, because what it does is reactivate the normal energetic pathways in your body. Um, traditional Chinese medicine with acupuncture and with reflexology holds that there's certain energetic pathways in your body that have different functions and supports for you. Very much like that, this modality does. And what I really liked about it was that she didn't make any promises, but she told me stories. She told me, I'd had this client who came to see me with a heart issue and he's fine now or I had this mother who came in with her daughter who had severe allergy problems so there was the repeated hope that things could be different but 
there were no promises that this will do exactly what you need. So I don't think it was that I, I didn't do things very much differently than I was doing at that time because I was already taking time off, resting, recovering, eating properly. And it was just a matter of restarting the pathways that had gotten kind of an energetic cramp. Kind of like when you go for a walk or some people go for runs and you get a cramp in your leg. And once you relax and ease that out, you can go on your way. So like that, we have that in our energies. But this poor woman, Rachel, <laughs> she, she's a saint because from the very start, the first session, I would say to her, well, why are you doing that? What does this do? How does, and total insatiable curiosity because I was fascinated that by her gently resting her hands on my shoulder and my hip, things could change. So I asked her so many questions. She said, you know, there's a class in a couple months. You should go. <laughs> and my husband, the class was over in the UK. And I wasn't well enough to make the trip on my own. So he delivered me to two other ladies who were going to the class. And I was leaning against the walls at that point in time, just because I was that unwell. And it was a five day class. And by the end of the fifth day, I didn't need to lean on the walls anymore. Wow. Um, oh my goodness. I can feel like the tinklings going through my body. Yeah. And I, I don't know what to say, Rachel. I, I think that when we're in our darkest place and we become more open-minded, we can have a broader perspective and see things that we couldn't have seen before. If somebody said to me back when I was an environmental scientist and geographer that I would be, actually it did happen. <laughs> I was working on my research degree and I was struggling. And I went to this strange man in the next town over and he was a healer. And I said to him, well, why can't I finish this? Because it was dragging on. And he said, it's not your life's work. And I laughed and I said, well, what is my life work? And he said, you're a healer. And oh, I wow. thought he was insane. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So we don't know. And it depends on how open we are to something at a given time. Cause somebody can say something to you when you're in one place and it doesn't resonate. And then the universe will knock again a little bit louder probably <laughs> and say it again. And until, well, I normally get hit by the two by four because I'm stubborn and I don't pay attention. <laughs> so, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a case where I, I always hold that the most challenging things and even our days always have silver linings because it can seem horrible, but there's always something good in it. I mean, if you even think about the whole pandemic, there were silver linings in it. I mean, if I thought that I would be sitting talking to you 
over in France while I'm sitting in Ireland. That would not have happened pre-pandemic, more than likely. So there are silver linings. Yes. Yeah. And that's when you told me about the experience. I uh, I got goosebumps all over my arms and my hair sticking <laughs> up and um and I think that idea that you know sometimes people say things to you and you're just like no mm. never and it's so out far so far outside of your comfort mm. zone so far outside of what you know your life to be like and I'm sure that our listeners have had those experiences too where people tell you about something or it's something they're like no you give off this vibe or that you're powerful or that are going to be a healer or you should be a speaker or those types of things and you're just like that is not me and then like you said the universe comes and knocks on your door a bit harder or you get hit with the two by four and I just love that and for years now I have been told that I should start a podcast and that people would want to listen to me, want to hear me, that I had a soothing voice, that people wanted to tune in. And I just thought, that's never going to be me. <laughs> so and here times. we are, guys. <laughs> I am quite literally stepping into my sunshine and sharing my light with the world and sharing the light of others. And I am so grateful, Jackie, that you have shared your light, your knowledge with us. And I would like to ask you just one last question before we go. Oh, is this the tough one? <laughs> so, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to find their path in life? Mm. Well, first of all, don't assume it's going to be this nice, neat line like a freeway line it's probably going to be a little bit more toing and throwing and like the Irish country roads where you go back and forth and if you went as the crow flies you'd be there in five minutes but it's a lot longer so that's one thing I actually have four points because I, I was thinking about this earlier and the other thing is to sit quietly with yourself and sometimes people will sit quietly and that works for them if they're meditating. Other people will go for a walk in nature or you might find that you connect with your inner self by writing or drawing or dancing. Whatever it is that puts you in touch with yourself and lets you be present and hear those little whisperings from your true self will make such a difference because nobody's going to tell you, well, people will tell you, but you won't believe them what your path is in life. <laughs> but unless we are clear with ourselves and connected with ourselves, it won't resonate. And it, it, it's a lot harder. So then the third thing is pay attention to what makes you smile. Because I, I have a case where if I'm coming away from an experience and I find myself singing in the car, I'm like, oh, I really like that. That really resonates with me. 
why does it resonate with me? And it's when we're present and in flow that we get that outpouring of joy and music and smiles. So, and then the last thing, ask for help. And when the help is offered, say thank you and graciously take it. <laughs> How many times have each of us had somebody say, don't be stuck or I can help you or what do you need? And often I don't take people up on that. So those would be my four things. I think all of that is brilliant advice. And I think the idea that our destiny in life, our path, the way that things are going to go is not straight, not congruent. It's very important for people to realize that um, especially if you're going through the normal chum of life. And which, what I mean by that is that you've gone through school. Many people choose to go to university or to college. And then you think, okay, I have my degree and I'm going to go and conquer the world and conquer um, that career. And then you you get a few years in and you're like, well, I'm not quite so sure that this is my path for the next 30, 40 years. Mm. And it's okay to understand that things, as you say, go with the countryside. They <laughs> go to and fro and to and fro and you have all of the squiggles in between. Mm. And then the next thing that you said about sitting quietly, you might be surprised to hear that when I ask people this question this is normally said mm. that to sit quietly and get in touch with um, yourself and I find that this is more prevalent for entrepreneurs mm. because they have spent more time with themselves sorting out what do I want to do and why do I want to do it and if they've been in the game long enough if they've been in the game for more than five years, it really has to give them passion because they're they're going to come up against lots of challenges, lots of hurdles, lots of setbacks, lots of problems. And they're also going to experience immense highs. They're going to be very proud of themselves. They're going to look back on their journey and think, oh, my goodness, I've made it this far. And I find that that advice is more prevalent among entrepreneurs for that reason, because they've had those experiences. Because generally speaking, if you're an entrepreneur, you're doing something that you love or that lights you up or makes you smile. Because if you weren't, then after three or five years, your business is no longer because you don't feel passionate about it. You're burnt out. You're, you've lost your will to carry on because you're just like, what is the point? Mm. And, and then you come, oh, uh, you come back to yourself and you ask yourself again, you come back, you know, I still want to be an entrepreneur. I love to work for myself. I want to go down this path. So you come back to yourself, you quiet yourself and you think, where's my life telling me to go? And I love the little notion about little whisperings mm. uh, because it's like your mind and your body is telling you which path you should go down. You just have to listen. Yeah. And, and do you think, Rachel, that entrepreneurs are more likely to prioritize those inner voices because we're setting our own agendas? 
No one's telling us what to do. No one's giving us a job description that you can turn off at five o'clock. So if, if we're not connecting and not being aware, it, it's just chaos. Whereas if you're working for someone, it's their dream and their priorities. So very different. I think I'm inclined to agree because for me, my experiences being an entrepreneur since 2017 has shown me that I has gotten me more in touch with my intuition. What do I really want? Mm-hmm. What, when we talk about goals, like what do I see my future like? Like, how do I want to, in, how do I want my daughter to see me? How do I want her to interact with me? How, how, what do I want my life to be like? And for me to ask those questions requires me to be quiet and to listen to the little whisperings and for me to say okay this is where I want to go and you're right nobody's telling me or directing me or saying this is your goal for this week I have to create all of that myself and all the entrepreneurs that are listening and yourself have to create those goals that pathway for ourselves Nobody else is doing it for us. Nobody's telling us how and why and where and if and when things should be done. We're creating all of that ourselves. And it has to be in tuned with ourselves and our lifestyle and the where we want our life to go. And so for me, I would be inclined to believe that. Yeah. And do you think, or I've found over the years that my path has changed as a business owner? because we get new circumstances, we change, the world changes, we develop a better understanding of our clients. And I would never have seen myself as doing recorded talks that are on YouTube. Not in a million years. (laughs) I mean, I did a a video challenge with someone who I came to work with as a business coach. And I did my videos at 10 o'clock at night, it was dark, nobody was watching. And then things evolved and things changed. And if we're not open to reevaluating where we want to go, we can miss out. So I I think that's very true. Yeah, I don't want people to think, okay, I have my business plan. And this is what I need to do for the next 10 years. Well, it's going back to those Irish country roads that, <laughs> you know, we're, that, that is our direction for now. And it's okay to switch back to another direction or to another pathway or to another goal or to another interest. And for me, that shows up very prominently in both of my businesses that are, that couldn't be more different. Mm. And for me, they're very similar, but to other people, they're very opposing and mm-hmm. so for one part of my business the Kudron's curiosities is focused on jewelry it's focused on hand-painted items and well, I've done it for six years thank yeah, you really nice and then last year last April I launched my copywriting business which has everything in the world to do with words mm-hmm. and marketing and understanding why and how people decide to buy Mm. and people see that as opposing businesses yet for me 
they they tap into different parts of my creativity. I love to write. I love to speak. I love to connect with people. I love to tell people stories. Yet I also find my mind very quiet and very intuitive and more in touch with myself when I'm painting. And so for me, they all flow together, but they're very different. And the marketing and the people that I interact with are very different. Mm. And I think that that's okay. It's okay to be have your hands in multiple buckets that may not make sense to other people on the outside, but they make sense to you. And that's how we, you know, we manage down those country Irish roads. (laughs) And hopefully the roads are a little bit wider than some of the roads here. Yes. And the last one that you mentioned, asking for help. I think this is quintessentially one of the most important things uh, that people can do is when they find themselves in difficult situations, whether that be mentally, physically, in your business, uh, in your marriage, with your children, is asking for help from somebody who's more experienced. Mm-hmm. Because they do, even if they feel like they have nothing to give you, they do have insights that will help you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just a listening ear and not having to have mounds of advice is all that you need to realize, I just need to listen to myself. And like, once you get all of that out, you're like, okay, now I feel better. And I can actually focus at the task at hand. And sometimes that's all that you need is a listening ear. And if you do need more, it's okay. We're here. We're supportive of you and your choices to go out and ask for help and seek the help that you need to move on to that next place in your life. Mm -hmm. And someone once told me, actually not too long ago, that when you don't accept a gift graciously or when you don't accept help from someone, you're actually depriving them of value that they can give and you're saying that you don't value what they're offering so it's a two-way street where I might feel bad about asking somebody for help but really if someone asks me for help I'm more than happy to do it so to flip it around from bothering somebody to actually making that connection with somebody it's a good thing I think that's a beautiful place for us to end today. A great place for people to think about that, you know, giving and receiving, asking and receiving is a two-way street. They both are a two-way street. And for us to think about that and toil with that and in the comments, tell me, what do you guys think about today, about the things that we discussed, where really connection was the emphasis of our talk and how that led us throughout our life. Mm, Yeah, this has been amazing, Rachel. Definitely a bit of sunshine. (laughs) Yes, stepping into your sunshine, owning your power and your light, Jackie. Mm. I thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and your experiences with me and all of our listeners. Thank you so much, Rachel. Blessings. The next episode will air on the first week of August. I can't wait to see you guys there every Monday and Thursday, all of the weeks of the year. It's at 8 p.m. UTC time, 7 p.m. UK time, and 1 p.m. U.S. Central Standard Time. 
Step Into Your Sunshine is coming to you. I hope you all have a wonderful evening. I can't wait to talk to you soon.